It's been a long week in politics after a historic midterm election night. To dive into what we can glean so far from voters' choices, we turn to the analysis of Brooks and Capehart. That's New York Times columnist David Brooks and Jonathan Capehart, columnist for The Washington Post. Hello to both of you. Uh, I guess you could call it an historic week, but they are still counting. We don't know all the numbers, but I, we, one thing we do know, Jonathan, is President Biden did better than any president in terms of midterm vote uh, in the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. How do you explain it? What do you think voters were trying to say? Simple message. Voters are trying to say we can walk and chew gum at the same time. We are more nuanced than you give us credit for. Yes, the economy is bad. We're not happy about it. But we're also not happy about the potential of a national abortion ban. We're not happy about the threats to democracy. I think that um, the American electorate chose democracy in, in this election. And I think the candidates who ran um, in their, their respective races ran the races that they needed to run in order to be successful. And in order for them to be successful, they had to pay attention to the people they wanted to represent. What do you think the voters were saying? Yeah, I, and I, over the last, I don't know how long, 10 years, we've seen a rise of global populism, uh, both across Europe, I think in the form of Vladimir Putin and maybe Xi Jinping, and in the, this country in the form of Donald Trump. And I think what we saw Tuesday night was the emergence of an anti-authoritarian populism majority. 60% of voters, roughly 60%, said they have a low opinion of Donald Trump. 58% said they think MAGA is a threat to democracy. And so we now have a group. There's still going to be that MAGA movement. Right. But in my view, the electorate has built a wall around them. And one hopes in the, in the, with the effect of making sure they'll never get the pop kind of power they enjoyed under Donald Trump when he was in the White House. What struck me also, and this is related, was that performative populism where everything is just a show, which Trump embodies. The, those kind of candidates did poorly. And the kind of candidates who did really well are just people who get stuff done. So Mike DeWine in Ohio did very well, Josh Shapiro, Democrat. Uh, for me, the quote of the evening was from the, uh, the guy who was elected, re-elected governor of Wisconsin, uh, Tony Evers, I think. He said, boring wins. <laughs> and Boring has not been winning much in, in American politics, but I'm happy to see, uh, personally, Boring winning. <laughs> the voters, did the voters surprise us once again, Jonathan? Oh, they certainly surprised <laughs> me, but in a good way. I mean, in this business, we've, we've been talking because history shows that the party, um, the party in power, the, the president, loses seats in the midterm elections. Everything was going that way. But every week when there, a new poll came out, the one, and we talked about it around this table, I always went to the generic ballot. And that generic ballot seesawed one point to the Democrats or one point to this the is, Republicans. This is, are you likely to vote for a Democrat? Right. Who do you want to have, it, who do you want to have uh, in control? And for that to be so consistent for two years gave me the sense that this might not be the midterm election that we think it is. And what we ended up finding out, that it most certainly wasn't. And that, again, the American people are saying we can walk and chew gum at the same time and that those of us who do this for a living and including those armchair pundits out there need to show some humility. Yeah, well, that's always the case <laughs> for some of us. Uh, but, but David, were you surprised when it came down to it? 
I, th I think I was. Well, I, what had happened was two weeks before the race, or three weeks, the generic ballot really did move in the favor of the Republicans. And there was a moment when it looked like if that was going to continue to move, then Republicans will have a good night. But then in the last two weeks, it just sort of, as Jonathan said, it just flatlined. And so the Republicans did not continue to make gains right. on that thing. And I think that was voters saying, we don't like the Democrats, but we, you know, there was a good summary. Uh, they preferred a party that was sort of out of touch to a party that was out of their minds. <laughs> 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 and so, um, so I, I, I was surprised because historically, when the, when the presidential approval is low, the party loses. But this were exceptional circumstances because of this authoritarian threat. So, Jonathan, I mean, talking about Republicans, uh, they now, it now looks as if they're all but certain to take control of the House, not by a big margin, but by a, at least a few seats. We still don't know about the sen Senate. That's right on the edge. What sort of a mandate do Republicans have if, in the House? I'm not sure. Uh, if they do get the majority, it could be as small as two seats. And then how does the Republican leader govern? And I, I, I'm wondering, what is their mandate exactly to do. Um, make permanent the Trump tax cuts, a national abortion ban, um, uh, any number, let's see, there's one more thing. Oh, take a hammer to Social Security, which is what Democrats were hammering them with um, in the closing weeks of the, of the campaign. If that's what, they, what their mandate is, is that really what the country wants? And I don't think that, given the results we've seen, that that's what the country's looking for. What do you, how do you see what the Republicans uh, yeah. have been told by the voters? I, I sort of think uh, mandates went out the window <laughs> some decades ago. You know, Nancy Pelosi had a five-seat majority. Did she try any less hard than if she'd had a hundred-seat majority? No, she's the speaker, so she gets to be the speaker. And if Kevin McCarthy's the speaker, he gets to be the speaker. What can they do and how will they behave? I think they want to do something on immigration. And it wouldn't be crazy for Democrats if they can find something to pass to take that, that issue off the table uh, a bit for them. Uh, other than that, the investigations, which everyone is talking about, I think they'd be utterly crazy to have an investigations first. There's one thing, which is accountability. That's fine. What, what's happening on the border? What can HHS, should they be doing? But if they're just going to go after Hunter Biden, if there's one thing we've learned over the last 10 years, the American people are, are just sick of everything turning into scandal investigation. If Donald Trump is not laid low by scandal, then nobody's going to get laid low. Uh, and so I think that would just be a catastrophic mistake. Immigration, were you going to say? No, I, 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 you reminded me. Um, immigration would be a great thing if, if Republicans and Democrats could come together and do something about it. But the problem will be, and this all centers on who, the, let's, say, let's just assume, just for this conversation, that Republicans regain the majority. The real contest will be, well, who's that leader? If it, is, if it is current House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, in order to get the gavel, what concessions will he give to the House Freedom Caucus in order to secure enough votes? And the House Freedom Caucus is way out there. They're the yeah. ones who want to do these investigations. And so will, will Kevin McCarthy say yes to investigations in order to get the gavel? And that, that will tell us what the priorities are. Um, for a Republican-led House if he becomes the Speaker. And some of that's tied to the fortunes of, of Donald Trump, uh, former President Trump, because if he is seen, and, and some are saying he, he was hurt by these results, that a lot of his candidates didn't win. So yeah, where do you I've see had, that going? Uh, many, many conversations over the last three days about Trump and DeSantis with Republicans. Will Republicans finally break with Trump? Do they see DeSantis as a brighter object? Uh, 
I, I still think Donald Trump is going to get the nomination for this reason. If there are five other competitors, yeah. he only needs to get 33% in the primaries and he'll win it, which I think is that's the most likely outcome. But you do, his decision this week to really take on the san uh, yeah. calling him sanctimonious <laughs> already, <laughs> it worked. <laughs> yeah, no. um, yeah. uh, I think that is just very foolish of Trump because he's just elevating DeSantis. The final thing I'll say is we have the 2016 model in our mind that if there's a normie Republican, they get crushed by Donald Trump. Why should a Mike DeWine, not that he's going to run, but why normie Republicans did way better than the performative Republicans. So why should we always assume that a modern normal Republican has no shot at beating Donald Trump? I hope one of them gets in and tests this proposition. And speaking of normie Republicans, or Virginia Governor Ralph Northam, he's someone who could, will most likely run simply because he can't run for re-election uh, uh, to governor. You mean Glenn Youngkin? Glenn Youngkin. What did I say? The last governor. The last. Oh, <laughs> Ralph Northam. It's Ralph okay. Northam. My apologies, Governor <laughs> <laughs> Governor Youngkin. But but Governor Youngkin um, is one of those normie re uh, Republicans who will most likely run and to my mind, might be a better candidate than, than Governor DeSantis. So I, I just want to be clear. We're using the word normie as in this is a David Brooks word, right? No, this, I did not invent this. I think two generations below me invented that word. <laughs> so just quickly, if, 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 if we still think uh, Donald Trump's going to run, what about Joe Biden after these elections? Oh, he's totally running. Okay. I, I was convinced he was going, going to run before the midterms, but if you're the president of the United States who is coming out of midterms with this result, with your party in this strong a position, why wouldn't you run again? I agree. He sort of expressed this to you a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And then he, he was even more blatant, I think, this week, where he said, we, we want to run, and we, me and Jill want to run. Mm -hmm. So I, yeah, I can expect Joe Biden to run. He was sounding pretty confident at that news conference on Wednesday. So it just last thing, I want to bring up the election deniers. Um, they did well. I think we've, you've talked about this in some parts of the country, but not everywhere. But, but we did see many losing candidates in both parties uh, be gracious in their concession um, remarks. And I want to uh, point uh, both of you to, this was notably Ohio. This is Republican Steve Chabot. Chabot who has served many terms in Congress, defeated uh, by a Democrat, and, and also in Ohio, uh, Tim Ryan, the congressman who was running for senator. He lost to the Republican, but here's what both of them said. I have the privilege to concede this race to J.D. Vance because the way this country operates is that when you lose an election, you concede. You respect the will of the people, right? We can't have a system where if you win, it's a legitimate election, and if you lose, someone stole it. I'm just uh, really uh, very honored uh, to have been able to serve this community as long as I did. It was the toughest uh, Republican-held seat in the entire country outside of California. There were three tougher seats in California, but in the other 49 states, this was the toughest. Um, I thought we could uh, overcome that, and we almost did, um, but we didn't. Mr. Landsman won fair and square. David, that tells us something about uh, maybe we're headed in a, in a good direction. Yeah, a return to normalcy, people being gracious and patriotic. I would say one of the big things about this election was it really made it much less likely we'll have an electoral crisis in 2024. The, I saw a re release from the Ele Election Reformers Network of all the secretaries of state, and there, with the notable exception of Arizona, where we don't know, 
Right. It seems likely the people running the next elections will not be election deniers in almost every state of the swing states, of the, of the marginal states. That's just super important. And then Democrats did well in a lot of the, those Midwestern states in the state legislatures that could also be swing. So the elections look a lot safer right now. How do you, I mean, after listening to those speeches, especially coming out of 2020, mm -hmm. what does it say to you? It, 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 I feel relieved. Um, it is a return to normalcy, but it's also a return to decency. And to hear Congressman Ryan say it's a privilege to be able to concede. I ran, I lost, congratulations to, to the victor. Um, so that makes me happy. But I want to add one more, and I'm going to get it right this time. Governor Youngkin sent, yes. a, sent a handwritten note to Speaker Pelosi apologizing to her for what he said on the campaign trail in the closing days of the midterm elections uh, after the, uh, the attack on her husband. Who writes handwritten notes anymore? <laughs> I do, but it is, it is a sign that, again, another sign to me that decency is making a comeback. And I, ho and I hope more people who are in, in elective life follow those three examples. So, when, when, so what we've been talking about here at this table, there weren't as many election deniers elected as won, but some of them are gonna be serving in office, David, and you, you, if you are right and former President Trump's running for president the next time, then where does, where does this yeah, Well, uh, you know, it, a lot really matters whether Carrie Lake wins in Arizona, because Arizona is a state where the governor has tremendous power over elections. And so she would be the, the, the epicenter of trouble if there was going to be trouble in 2024. Well, we are watching Arizona, we're watching Nevada, and we'll be in early December watching the state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. Thank you both after this uh, wild week. <laughs> Jonathan Capehart, David Brooks, thank you. Thanks, thank you. Judy.